All right, shalom everyone. Welcome back. I think we're gonna go ahead and get started. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, I, I was supposed to bring on Rick Hummer tonight, and he just texted me a, a little while ago and said that he had um, he had a I guess an emergency um, edit for a client uh, that's looking. He does like video editing and and recording. And um, anyways, yeah, he said it's going to take him all into the early morning and he has to have an invite tomorrow morning. So he's really bummed because he really wanted to come in and talk about this. He's been talking about it for months. He wants to get this out to people. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue with the talk tonight and I have stuff prepared. Um, and what we'll do is next week, we're going to plan to just continue with the Targum study. Um, and if, he, if he's able to make it, then great. We'll We'll continue with the millennial uh, rain, 70, 80, mud flood talk, and um, and just go go from there. Does that sound good to everyone? All right. So this, now I was hoping tonight would be kind of a conversation between Rick and I because he's got a lot of um, just great information on the mud flood. In fact, he was the guy that got me into it. Um, it for those of you, uh, the reason I wanted to bring on Rick Hummer tonight, uh, Rick Hummer was the the MC at all three Flat Earth International conferences. The first time I met him was in Raleigh in 2017, and then in 2019, my my wife and children and I were living in Europe, and we were going through all Europe for several months. And one of the things I was targeting was old buildings. And I was going all over there. I, I was looking mainly for the occult and trying to find how they, um, particularly in like uh, the Age of Enlightenment and so on and so forth, how they constructed their buildings and why. And as I'm online and I'm posting pictures of this stuff and talking about this, I had all, <laughs> I had like, like back then, it's really the mud flood was still kind of in its infancy. Um, and not a lot of people knew about it. It hadn't taken off yet, but I had all these people coming on and telling me, oh, that's all fake history. And they were, you know, tr trying to cover up, you know, free electricity and all this kind of like, what are you guys talking about? So I go to the Flat Earth International Conference in 2019 in Dallas and I spoke there and I'm standing at the bar with Rick and we're just talking and he's, and he's like, he's like, bro, like you gotta, you gotta look into these buildings, you know, like they, they've got these, these basements that have doors at the bottom. I'm just like, <laughs> I was trying to figure out like what he was talking about. And long story short, Rick was the guy who got me into the mud flight. So anyways, I'm, he might drop by tonight. And if not, that's cool. He'll come by hopefully next week and we'll do it again. So uh, one of the things Last week, I gave a little bit of a preview as to what we'll, we'd be talking about with um, with 70 AD and uh, the the prophetic connotations as to where we're at on the calendar. I don't know if I need to repeat that for anybody. We can go over the details again. Um, would anyone like me to kind of go over that again? Uh, a brief I'll refresher go. would be dope. Um, for, All right, brief yeah. a brief a brief dope refresher. So. As, as you guys know, um, well, let's talk about the mud flood real quick. I live in the city of Charleston, or just outside the city of Charleston. I live on a um, what is currently an alligator uh, preserve, and I was actually 
I was kayaking today and I had so many alligators jump at me and were like, get in my mouth. It was really kind of creepy in that kayak. I was out there alone thinking, man, like if something happened to me, how long would it, would it take people to realize I'm not coming back to look for my body? But uh, anyways, that's where, that's where I live. And so my next door neighbor is what's considered the oldest house in South Carolina history, according to the official narrative. In fact, the, uh, it was, it was a, plantation home that that um rebelled or, or fought against um let's say they lost both wars they were originally for the patriots uh no i'm sorry the loyalists they were originally with the loyalists fighting for the crown lost that and then they were for the confederacy of course lost that as well and the uh the the, the driveway that that the road that leads up to the house with the double row of grand oak trees that you'll see in famous like South Carolina photos is actually what I have to drive down to get to my house now. So keep that in mind. And about three or four months ago, I decided to take my Sabbath group down to Charleston on a, um, on a field trip, on a mud flood field trip. This had been the first time I'd been to downtown Charleston since COVID-19, the whole outbreak. And, you know, as you guys know, it's like depressing to go outside nowadays. We were actually uh, threatened uh, by security there to get a $100 fine each if we didn't put on masks. We refused to put on our masks and, you know, nobody was fined. Um, but we were walking around and I didn't really know, I, I didn't really know what we would find down there. But we were going down there looking for mud flood um, uh, architecture and, and proof and so on. As soon as we parked right in the old historic district there, uh, it was, I parked with um, Dave, who's in this group, and he, um, he immediately pointed my attention to an arch in the wall, a bricked arch that was about two feet above the sidewalk. And we walked over there and we're like, oh my goodness, that's a door and it's buried. It's, they put a sidewalk over this door. And we started walking down the street and we, we started seeing these bricked in arches and windows everywhere. Um, and finally, within about an hour, as we're going on every street and finding this stuff, we found the, the biggest find was we found a, a huge arch door, the, the kind that like horses could walk through. Um, and it was about two feet off the ground and they left the door hinges on. The door hinges were still there and they just put a street over it in a building. And the, and the second story of the building is now the first story of the building. And we're just like, oh my goodness, this is this is ridiculous. We start, we go across the street and we start pulling up these grates in the street and looking down and seeing that the original street of Charleston was 12 feet down. We could see the original doors still there on these buildings. And we're asking ourselves, where in the you know, Charleston is the city that uh, you know, it was the city that basically started the revolution, according to the official narrative. And it was the, the, the city that started the Civil War, according to the official narrative. And I'm looking at this going, where in the world did the mud flood happen in this narrative? Uh, Polly just signed in. About two or three weeks later, we're driving down to where he lives. And um, we go to his city. And again, we're seeing all over just like these, these, these doors and windows that are buried underneath the sidewalk. Everywhere. It was even it was worse there. And, and my wife was pointing out and saying, look, that, that's not supposed to, that's not how you build buildings. You don't build buildings underground or, you know, where the door is only like protruding out of the sidewalk, right? So 
this this is what this is what we're looking at with the worldwide mud flood. There was this huge event that destroyed civilization, and they covered it up and they rewrote history. They buried it, right? History is buried. Um, and this week, what I wanted to do was look at the Enochian calendar. Enoch has a a, a prophetic ten week calendar, and um, I'm going to go over those details real quick and see where we can find. Oh, let's talk about quickly 70 AD. Um, and sorry, go no, ahead. Quick question, um, just before we move on from the mud flood, uh, what what is the what would be the speculated uh, time frame that that would happen in? Like, how old were these buildings? And and uh, you know, obviously, if if history's been kind of overwritten or or um, like kind of hidden, it'd be it'd be good to be able to put kind of like an estimated kind of uh, time frame on that and and i guess dating those buildings would give us a pretty good indication if they're 300 years old or 250 years old then it could have happened within the last 250 years i i would imagine right well that's what i want to get into and when we look at the calendar um before i look into how old these buildings are that are buried over on every continent on the earth and they just basically you know, they just paved over the streets uh, story up and started from scratch. I will say really quickly, as you guys probably know, um, the mudflood hasn't really taken off in the worldwide consciousness yet like mud, like uh, Flat Earth did. And and so it's actually a beautiful time to research mudflood because, um, you know, uh, AI and algorithms and so forth are not bearing these searches. You can look up whatever you want in the mud flood and you will get the stations and videos and websites that you want uh, because Intel is not trying to bury it yet. Um, and the, the only, uh, I'll be interesting to see what kind of explanations, and I think they're sweating bullets right now because I don't know if they know how to explain this away. The only uh, official explanation I've gotten that I've seen is people saying, well, you know, and if um, if you don't uh, sweep the front porch of your house for 200 years, you know, the, the dirt will accumulate to the first story. And it's like, oh, yeah, that that must explain it. It's like, oh, sorry, honey, we didn't sweep the front porch for the last 200 years. Why not? Instead of digging ourselves out, why not just build a new front you know, door on the second story? That's that's so far all I've seen to explain away the mud flood. So it will be interesting to see as this gains more and more traction because mud flood stations now that are fully devoted to this, like they've gone in the last year from like 10,000 subscribers to like 150. Like it, it's, it's just, it's exploding right now. So um, the, 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 where this ties in is with the, um, before I get to Enoch's calendar, oh, actually let's just start with Enoch's calendar then we'll dive into 70 AD. So Enoch's calendar, it, it's a prophetic calendar of all of human history that takes place over 10 weeks. Um, most people, it seems like the general assumption, I think it's a good assumption to make, is that Enoch's calendar, each of the weeks represents 700 years, give or take. Because if you take 700 times 10, you get 7,000. Makes sense. If there's, you know, a week of history in 7,000 years. Um if you look at most of uh, the calendar appears in chapters 91 and 93, and it's the sixth week. Let me read the sixth week to you, and this is where our launching point will be. Chapter 93, verse 8. Let's find it. And it says, and after that, 
in the sixth week, so after the fifth week, all who live in it shall be blinded, and the hearts of all of them shall godlessly forsake wisdom, and in it a man shall ascend. And at its close, the house of dominion shall be burned with fire, and the whole race of the chosen root shall be dispersed. All right, so um, this is an amazing prophecy. I mean, this was clearly written long before the first century. Um, and this just, you know, has like people pissed because it's so accurate. I mean, who who was the one person that ascended in in the sixth week? It was Yahusha. Yahusha ascended. Nobody else ascended. At the close of the sixth week, the house of the temple is burned, the house of dominion, that's 70 AD, and the whole race of the chosen root is dispersed. Yehuda, the tribe of Yehuda is dispersed, right? Israel has already been dispersed. So now Yehuda is dispersed. This is the closer of the sixth week. So this is where we find, so this is 70 AD. Um, and 70 AD is, is the year where I believe uh, that the resurrection happened. In fact, uh, Enoch chapter, let's see, Enoch chapter 91 verse 10 says, uh, it talks about um, it, it doesn't it doesn't really tell you exactly um, what week the the dead will rise, but it says, and the righteous shall arise from their sleep, and wisdom shall uh, arise and be given to them. And this is a, a during a lot of turmoil. So one of the things that started culminating with with the mud flood research or coming together was this idea of I, I can't stand the term. Um, 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 I'll think of it. Um, oh, what is it where people, whatever, I can't think of all the doctrine terms, but in, in 70 AD, um, you, you know, Yahushua is coming around around 330 AD or whatever. And he's, he's standing there and saying that there's going to be people who are, who are standing there who aren't going to taste death. And it's like, well, what does that mean? And, and you look at the whole new Testament, it's written in, in, in a sense of haste, whether it's, uh, even the writings of Paul, by the way, but if you look at James, Jude, Peter, uh, John writing Revelation, all of it is like, guys, it's about to swiftly come to an end. Like it's coming to an end now. Like we need to get this. Like you're not getting a, a chance next week. Um, you know, the master's returning. Um, Yahushua's there saying, um, you know, some of you aren't going to taste death. There's there's a couple we had discussed, I think, a couple weeks ago that in the Hebrew Gospel of Matthew. Um, it's really interesting that the word for this and that is the exact same word. It's really interesting. So that kind of throws, you could argue that throws a wrench into the argument. I don't think it does. So Yahushua, is he saying this generation or that generation, right? Or both. Maybe it's both. Maybe the prophecies refer to both. But, you know, he goes over there to the high priest in the night he's betrayed, and he says, you will see me coming down in a cloud of glory. He tells his own disciples, he says, you guys will not flee to every city in Judea before I come back for you. He doesn't, he doesn't say some future generation will not, you know, flee to every city in Judea. He says, you will not. And so um, that's kind of the, the framework we're working with here, that I, I believe that he did come back for that generation uh, as promised. And this is why all the death stories of the apostles are really shady. They really don't start appearing for three or 400 years later by the Roman Catholic Church. And a lot of them are contradictory. You have multiple different takes on it. Now, it's possible that, that Kepha, Peter, really was crucified around 64. I could, I could deal with that. 
Um, but I think most of the others uh, made it out of there. So we have multiple quotes from Josephus. Um, if you read my article, you'll know uh, you'll know about this already. But it's funny because a lot of people, you know, you try to explain scripture to them and they won't believe it. They're like, I don't care what scripture says. You know, I need, I need, I need historical proof, right? It's like, okay, you want historical proof. Well, let's let's go into the 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 famous Roman whore Josephus and see what he has to say. Um, and he this is him accounting the war of the Jews and the war of the Jews started in 66 AD. It's a perfect three and a half year fit um, with the book of revelation. So I think the book of revelation really kicked off. It was written before 66 AD. It's probably written in the early sixties, uh, delivered to the churches in haste because the time was quickly arriving. And this is one of the things that Josephus says on the 21st day of the month of um, IR, um, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable, were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed of it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sun setting, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding of cities. Um, the the uh, Jewish historian Sifer Yasapan uh, talks about the same event. And he says, moreover, in those days, we're seeing chariots of fire and horsemen, a great force flying across the sky near to the ground, coming against Jerusalem and all the land of Judah, all of them horses of fire and riders of fire. Uh, and this seems to be a... Um, prophetically spoken of in Isaiah chapter 66. Remember, Isaiah 66 is the big chapter of his return. Uh, For behold, Yahuwah will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger, anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Uh, and then there's a Roman, a first century Roman historian, uh, Tacitus, and he has this to say of the same event, 66 AD. In the sky appeared a vision of armies in conflict, of glittering armor. A sudden lightning flash from the clouds lit up the temple. The doors of the holy place abruptly opened. A superhuman voice was heard to declare that the Elohim were leaving it. And in the same instant came the rushing tumult of their departure. I think right there, that's actually documenting the resurrection of the saints. In fact, I believe it was Josephus. And I know if I put that quote in this article, he had mentioned that earlier um, those voices were heard under the temple, under the altar, just as it says in Revelation chapter six, and they were crying out to be released. And so here we actually see the, the voices under the altar in the temple being released before it is destroyed. Um, so there were some real surreal, crazy things that happened in 66 to 70 AD. Um, and I, my theory is that Yahusha literally returned in the clouds that he was seen by the elites and these people were like oh crap this is the guy we hung from a tree and crucified and he's back and he's got a bunch of fiery dudes and uh this isn't good and you know we we've got to cover this up we got to erase this we got to do whatever we can to cover this up so getting back into Enoch's calendar uh we know that the the closure of the sixth week 
is and and keep in mind too that when we're dealing with the end days, technically, once you get past the fifth week, uh, weeks one through five is the beginning of days, and then and weeks six through ten are the end of days, right? So, you know, from from Yahusha really came in the end of days. In fact, when you read the New Testament, you get that perspective that they're in the end of days. So the sixth week ends with the temple being destroyed. And this leads us into the seventh week, which is uh, the week of apostasy in chapters. Let's see if I can find this. Okay, and it says. In Enoch chapter 93, and after that, in the seventh week, shall an apostate generation arise, and many shall be its deeds, and all its deeds shall be apostate. Now, if you speak to anybody out there in the matrix, they're going to tell you that we are still in the seventh week. They're going to say, well, you know, if you if dividing up the, the calendar into weeks of, of like years of 700 doesn't really apply to us because it's been an ongoing 2000 years and we've been in the same week for that long. We've been in the age of apostasy. They don't really want to venture past that. But what we will find, hopefully, is that if we carry his calendar through, we're going to find that we're just about in the 10th week. We've gone a long, long ways into this. and. I think prophecy looks very, very different than has been advertised to us through the Tim LaHaye, you know, Hal Lindsey, like it's going to be like the seven year showdown. And then it's all going to, you know, all eyes will see him and they're all going to be sorry and that's it. And it's all over and, you know, and so on and so on. Like that this, that the, the end days, the way prophecy goes down is never exactly like we think it will necessarily. You know, you can look back in hindsight and go, yeah, Yahusha, he makes total sense. Um, but, you know, it, it clearly, as we're told, according to the official narrative, it didn't go down the way people thought. They thought the Messiah was going to show up and be a conquering lion, right? He came as the lamb. Um, so, and I, I, and I ask people as we go into this, see, what the church does is they say, well, okay, yeah, the Jews thought it would be a one-time event. We think it's going to be a two-time event. My perspective, looking at prophecy, is going, well, what if it's a three, four, five, six, seven, nine, eight, nine, ten part of it? What if this is something that is just an ongoing story that, you know, hasn't reached its climax yet, but it, it's, you know, it, it hits a lot. It, it's, there's been a lot of peaks and a lot of valleys in between. All right. So the eighth week, let's see here. The eighth week, it's really interesting. So. <clears throat> if, if you can think of the seventh week as the age of apostasy, this would follow 70 AD exactly and continue on for another 700 years, in which case we can look at history and go, yeah, that makes sense. Rome was in control. Um, you know, you, you could probably wedge a lot of history into those 700 years. And what happens at the end of it? Rome falls, according to the official narrative, and we enter into the Dark Ages. This is when we enter the eighth week, when we go into the Dark Ages. And in Orwellian language, you know, they like opposites, right? Kind of like how America is the new world, right? You just, you just switch it to it's the old world, right? You know, the dark ages was the light ages. The age of enlightenment was the age of darkness, right? So, um, <clears throat> so the seventh week, okay, then let's see, where's the eighth week here? What's weird is that Enoch's written out of order. So I got to go to chapter 91. All right. 
That's not it. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. Okay, so after this, after the seventh week, um, oh, oh, so this is this is interesting, too, that um, this is where I messed up. So it says that somewhere in the seventh week, it could be at the beginning of the seventh week, uh, the end of the sixth week, or somewhere towards the end of the seventh week. We really don't know. But according to Enoch's calendar, in the seventh week, um, that is when the righteous shall arise from their sleep and wisdom shall arise and be given to them. Because it says after this, there will be another week, the eighth week, that of righteousness. Now, listen to this, because this is, this is really trippy when you get into Tartaria territory. And a sword will be given to it so that the righteous judgment may be executed on those who do wrong. And the sinners will be handed over into the hands of the righteous. This may be seeing the, the destruction of Rome. And at its end, they will acquire houses because of their righteousness. And a house will be built for the great king in glory forever. All right. So this is where we get into the millennial reign territory. We're clearly in the millennial reign now. And we see that in this eighth week, houses are built for the righteous. All right. Um, then in the ninth week, after, okay, so, and after this is the ninth week. The righteous judgment will be revealed to the whole world, and all the deeds of the imp impious will vanish from the whole earth, and the world will be written down for destruction, and all men will look to the path of uprightness. And after this in the tenth week, in the seventh part, so keep in mind that if you're dividing up the uh, the millennial reign, the millennial reign is a thousand years, but these weeks are 700 years, which means the millennial reign will go into two weeks. So the millennial reign will start some point in the eighth week, and it will continue on probably towards the end of the ninth week, the age of righteousness. So at the beginning of the millennial reign, the, the houses for the righteous are built, and it continues on into the ninth week. And after this, in the 10th week, in the seventh part, there will be an eternal judgment that will be executed on who? On the watchers. On the great eternal heaven that will spring from the midst of the angels. All right. So in here, um, and this is where he talks about the new heaven, the new earth um, will come down. At the end of the 10th week, at the judgment of the watchers. So it's my contention, of course, that the watchers have been released. And it says that... Um, Earlier on in Enoch, unfortunately, I didn't write down the verse here before the study, uh, but it says that when they were put into the hills and the valleys of the earth, around, uh, what was it, 700 uh, years after creation, or I, I, I don't have the dates in front of me, that it would be for 70 generations. All right. So this is, what is 70 generations? Is, seven, is it talking about seven, 70 jubilees, 70 years of 70, or just the lives literally of 70 dudes from the time they're born till they have a kid of their own, right? We really don't know. But if you actually do, according to the official timeline, it's really interesting. Um, if, you, if you actually add 70 times 70, it actually leads right up to the late 1700s to the early 1800s, right in there. It's perfect timing for the mud flood, for their release. And it says that when they're released, it's right at the time, right before they're judged in the lake of fire. So we can actually, um, 
hopefully I'm not losing anybody here. I'm trying to give a lot of details in a little bit of time. Um, let me talk really quickly here about when the watchers return, which is, I believe, I could be wrong about this, but I believe it's documented in chapter 56 of Enoch. Um, 50, 53 is a really interesting um, chapter. I'll get to that because that talks about when New Jerusalem appears and it perfectly mirrors Second Ezra's chapter 13 when all the nations turn against each other. But we see that in chapters 56 that there's a spiritual component behind that. Who is turning everyone against New Jerusalem? Well, it's Satan and his angels, right? So it says in chapter 56, um, let's see. In those days, the angels shall return and gather together and throw themselves to the east on the Parathians and Medes, Medes, or the Medes, I'm sorry. They shall stir up the kings. So it sounds a lot like Revelation here, right? They shall stir up the kings so that a spirit of unrest and disturbance will come on them and they shall drive them from their thrones and they may rush out like lions from their lairs and as hungry wolves among the flocks. And they shall go, now this is great, more Tartarian ter territory. And they shall go and trample the lands of my elect ones. And the land of his elect ones shall be before them a threshing floor, trampled, barren ground, and a highway. But the city of my righteous ones shall be a hindrance to their horses. And they shall begin to fight among themselves, and their own right hand shall be strong against themselves. And a man shall not know his brother, nor his son, his father, or his mother, until there will be innumerable corpses because of their slaughter, and their punishment shall be not in vain. Again, this sounds like Second uh, Ezra's chapter 13. Um, we see this is a perfect matchup here of um, Revelation when the kings of the earth uh, attack the, the battle of Armageddon. Um, but also we see that we, we see that they're actually trampling down all of the elect um, lands and the land of his elect ones shall be before them a threshing floor. But the one thing they can't attack that causes total confusion and the destruction of everybody is the city of the righteous ones. So we have to ask ourselves, where is the city of the righteous ones, right? Um, this is what we see in Revelation chapter 20, when Satan is released for a season after a thousand years, and he goes about the whole world, the plains of the earth, to deceive everyone into what? Into surrounding the camp of Yah. And this, of course, is to their demise, everybody is destroyed. So this is where it's, you know, my, my uh, suggestion that this, this, um, this camp may actually be in the North Pole. This is what they're actually trying to hide from us up there, why it's blacked out on the map, why nobody can go there, um, that the whole earth is literally surrounding it on a flat project, you know, AE projection map. Um, and that's what everything is leading to. So when we look at these big, beautiful buildings all over the world, um, you know, I talked to you about Charleston, but you can drive anywhere in the United States. You can go. I was driving through Tennessee. I was driving through Missouri. And, you know, you go to Springfield and you see these you see this big, beautiful, like marble Corinthian pillared building with gold domes. 
and like nothing around it even how you know compares to it in its beauty and its splendor and you look it up and there's no really it's really shady there's no blueprints anywhere there's no construction photos they just tell you that you know some cowboys on horseback built it in the 1880s you know what i'm talking about this is this is what we're this may be on enoch's calendar in the eighth week where we're seeing the righteous all over the world build these houses and it says that uh, the the Holy One, the, the Messiah, also has a house. I often wonder, well, which what was it? Was it the was it the Capitol Building in Washington D.C. that kind of caused me to shiver a little bit? But uh, or is it that big, beautiful? Is it the Palace of Versailles right outside of Paris? You know, it's a stunningly beautiful building if you've ever been there um, that could house hundreds of people in it. Or that big, beautiful building in Venice, Italy, where you know, literally, like. Uh, sorry if women get upset about this, but like maybe John in the resurrection had it. Isaiah says that a man will have seven, you know, wives at minimum. Like maybe he had a hundred wives. I don't know, but but um, anyways, that's that that's kind of a kind of an overarching view here of what we're looking at. So I'd be curious to get get your guys' thoughts on this, and um, if you have any questions. <laughs> well, yeah, that was my intro and what I had prepared for tonight. Um, oh, I did want to go over really quickly before we get uh, just on the, the 70 shepherds as well, because we were talking about that last week. And they um, their, their, their destruction leads right up to the knocking calendar. And I just want to point out that when it says that they are judged and destroyed, that it's still future tense, even though it's written as past tense. It's obviously written by Enoch before the flood, and this is a way post-flood event. So I was trying to figure out like how these 70 shepherds been destroyed yet. Um, and of course, it's my contention that they have not, that the judgment hasn't come for the angelic beings yet. They haven't been thrown into the lake of fire. Um, so... Um. <coughs> What's interesting is there's many different calendars, whether you go by the Jewish or the Chinese, that put us at different years, not 2021 or whatever one we're being peddled. So in this way, we can throw those right out the window and go, look, they don't even match up in terms of where we're supposedly at. So it gives us that clue again, not that we know something, it's that, no, we're being lied to across the board. <laughs> So it's almost like we've been out of time or we've been out of time. That's well, almost... you, you know, I, I've suggested in the past that I, I, I've speculated in the past that we're only about a thousand to 1200 years removed from Messiah. And the more I'm looking at Enoch's calendar. I've been looking at it for the last year and really pondering. I haven't written any articles on it because I've just been really trying to think through it and pass it by people. And, and people are kind of not too many people are getting back to me on it. They don't really know what to do with it. Um, but I, I actually kind of speculate that we really are almost 2000 years removed um, from his first coming. Mind you, you still have a thousand years of the millennial reign in there um, where they would have been ruling all over the earth. And of course, just 
if anyone has any questions on that, well, what happens to them? Because one of the biggest things I get is, well, wait a second. I thought it was supposed to be um, an eternal kingdom. And it is an eternal kingdom. I, I believe it's still here on the earth somewhere. Um, and even though I may sound a little delirious saying that, it, it says in Enoch that the watchers will be released right before the throne of the lake of fire. And they're going to bring all the kings to, to battle. So that's going to happen. And secondly, it says in Revelation, which is a perfect matchup, that after the millennial kingdom, Satan will be released after a thousand years, and he will um, tempt or rather deceive the entire world. Well, how do you deceive the entire world unless if Yahusha exits the stage? I mean, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue he could still deceive the whole world if Yahusha is sitting on a throne and they could go talk to him. Um, but the way I see this going down is that one day Yahushua is there with all his saints and they're in all their houses and they're like, all right, guys, we're going to pack it up and we're going to go up to our camp, up our, our, our fortified city up in the center of the earth on the, the, you know, the mountain, the sides of the north or whatever they call it. Um, you know, if that's where Eden originally was and, um, and, you know, we're going to be up there for a couple hundred years and this is all, you know, part of the great contest. We're going to have a whole um, you know, keep in mind that during the millennial reign, we know it says in the book of Isaiah that not everybody's going to be on board with it. There are people are still going to have free choice to uh, the, the choice to choose or reject the Messiah, even while he's on the earth ruling as king. Um, and there will be people who will choose not to go to the holy city and, um, you know, participate in in Passover, right? And and he says that those those people would be those nations would be cursed if they didn't do it. Well, what what happens when you have people all over the world who chose not to do it? Well, they're not going to go with Yahusha when he exits the stage. They're going to be the people we see in all the photographs in the 1800s, kind of walking around these huge cities that are built, you know, like it would with skyscrapers and we only see them on horseback and, you know, carriages and no way to build these cities. And they're walking around kind of like dumbfounded. Like, how did I get here? Right. Like, you know, they're just what we call the inheritors. Right. Um, and so that's us. We're descended from these inheritors who didn't make the cut. Um, either way that the theology works out the same. I mean, I truly believe that um, the, uh, we are we are Israel, and we're still waiting the final unification of uh, Judea and Israel, which I don't believe happens until you know the very very end. So that still all works out the same. Um, Quick question, Noel. Yeah. Or, or somewhat of an observation, but I'm just curious if uh, if you've come across it. Um, it, it seems like, uh, and I'm not sure exactly where the verse is, but I'm sure everybody here is familiar with it is, uh, you know, in, in, at the end, it'll be just like the days of Noah with the, you know, the intermingling of species and a, a lot of, um, I know a lot of people seem to indicate that it's actually tech, technological. So the watchers, you know, when they came down and and, um, and mixed themselves with humans and created the, the Nephilim, that there was a technological element to that uh, that allowed them to do like genetic splicing. And, you know, maybe that's part partly, you know, what the dinosaurs are all about and, and some of these other just gigantic crazy creatures that are you know maybe part nephilim um but it seems like in the last almost the same timeline between when you were kind of indicating when the mud flood 
may have happened and now it's it's like technology didn't exist and then it existed <laughs> and it's freaky when you look at it just how quickly technology has just completely engrossed the entire world Terrible. Not just, yeah, not just uh, technology, but like, you know, psychology and all the modern archaeology and, you know, all the ologies, all the studies of everything um, just came, you know, think of like, um, oh man, guys, I'm going blank right now. I have a whole list of webs, uh, an article where I just go down a whole list of, you know, 50 things that all developed out of nowhere in the 1800s just came on the scenes, but you're looking at even discovery of like Antarctica, right? Like that happened, maybe it was the late 1700s, early 1800s. But you know, you have Antarctica being discovered and Australia and just, you know, out of nowhere, you know, this is, this is the lie. Like as, as, as what's, what's being in it, we use the word discovered. No, what's being revealed to us again. And a lot of it was like, it's brand new. And it's like, no, man, this, all this tech is old tech. You've, there's been images people have shown like that even in the beginning of the 1900s, they were still, u- they were using wireless technology and they were like, and then they had to um, cover those up real quick because it was, they were letting that technology um, out too fast again in a way. So we, we, we get, um, drawn into this false narrative again with the the technology and the rollout of it as some advancement when the great thing about the mud flood in 70 AD we look back and and put the timeline together and went no way you couldn't have built that with that with where we were supposedly at in a technological age so we know advanced tech we can go into the um into the myths that we know weren't really myths so if we remember that so they didn't discover anything it's almost like this is um brought out for a new age again i just remember just brave new world like we got wiped like you described earlier and now they slowly rolled out the tech and then just ramped it up real fast but here's the thing as they did this, it showed their hand again. It revealed, wait a second. And this is the great thing about Yah, Yahuwah. He's the one showing us all of this. He's the one who showed us, hey, look again at the where you're, where you're standing. Hey, look again at um, so-called history. Hey, look at these buildings. We weren't discovering anything. These were being revealed at the right moment at the end to show us. So the, we were, in a way, it looks like we're under a great spell with this technology. No, it's showing us the great spell we were under. So now yeah, it's like, yeah, please. Yeah, I, 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 I theorize the same thing that like you look at the Pulitzer Prizes um, and you, you see all these different discoverers who it, it, it's almost like they, they were, you know, they were chosen to discover these things and it's all a part of the script. I just went through that whole series on the atomic bomb and you see these different stages in history where all of a sudden they need to, um, sometimes they're very good at, at, at 
pulling the 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 timeline together in an orderly fashion. But then there's these other times where they need to quickly, you know, get something done. So obviously for the whole Zionist agenda, they needed to um, they needed the atomic bomb before the war came to an end. They had time to develop the Holocaust. Like the Holocaust didn't really get started really developing until after the war was over when they started coming up with the stories. And it started with, you know, the Soviets and, um, you know, Soviet intel giving some really crappy intel on the Holocaust, which has all been disproven now, but the, the myth has already been built off of it anyways. Um, but, you know, they, they had to start developing this atomic bomb within like like six months or something. I mean, it was just incredible how fast, because if, if the war ended and they didn't have the bomb, like the bomb wasn't about ending the war. It was about, you know, continuing this Cold War narrative, right? You had to have the bomb to have the Cold War. Uh, and have you know Israel be under threats of annihilation and all this kind of stuff, um, and yeah. It, so another thing that developed in the 1800s was a lot of the map making. So and this is something that I I put a lot of thought into this last year. And just so everybody knows, I've conceded and I'm not arguing that Israel is not the historical Israel. Let's just say it is. But nevertheless, I'm looking at a lot of stuff. I, I always try to tell people, put yourself into the shoes of someone living in the 1800s. Nobody knows who Zionism yet, is yet. Like the movement didn't really start taking off to like what, the 1880s, 1817, 1880s, right in there. Um, and in the 1840s, you had the emer sudden emergence of Mormonism. And the Mormons are fascinating in their early connotation because uh, – uh, John Smith, Brigham Young, those guys were Freemasons. They were all Freemasons. And they're coming up with this stuff about how America is the Holy Land. And Mormonism was incredibly popular in the 1840s and 1850s. You convinced a lot of Americans that America, the new world, was in fact the old world. Pretty crazy to think about. And there was there was no there was no Holy Land at that time. There there was Palestine, but there was no Zionist uh, Jewish state. And in fact, when the Zionists started um, looking to put their uh, where they were going to put their Zionist state, they were looking at Texas. They were looking at New York. They were looking at Madagascar and South Africa. I think they were looking. I think they were looking at a European continent at one time, and they finally settled on Palestine. It wasn't until the 1880s, 1890s, when the map makers started showing up. And, um, you know, archaeology was still in its heyday, um, I should say in its infancy. And they started discovering places to put on the map. They sent an agent, Mark Twain, you know, uh, to go in there and be a spokesman for Palestine. And all of a sudden they started discovering things. You guys see how this works, right? Um, and all of this developed post-mud flood, our, how we're informed of our entire existence. All of this comes after 1800. So We've been lied to so much. It, it's, you just reminded me there's like a Palestine, Texas. Um, they've been, if you look at what people, I mean, just look at Russia, for example, and the different lies, different lies they have grown up with in the past century. The changes that they've gone through like and we can see it from the outside going wow you guys really went through some and still we don't know the truth and ours has been more like eh, we were cowboys and now we were you know 
um, city people where it's so, so many different stories all around the world. And it's kind of like all being wrapped up now. So everyone can kind of see this general lie of we're trying to figure out um, a history where I'm like, it's been presented differently to different people. You know, like the some of the people in the Pacific Island and, and the 40s, they believe in, you know, the cargo cult. You know, Jesus was this um, the guy who came on the plane. Um, so lots of different false, like you said, like Mark Twain going around, lots of different narratives all over the world. But what's so we can't get lost in trying to figure figure out what happened. It's like who shot not J. Yeah. Who shot J.R. Right. Not who shot JFK, who shot J.R. To remind us we're in a soap opera let's not try and figure out what is it showing us today because it's like the lies my history teacher told me we're not going to make enough sense we're going to we're not going to get the full truth out of it we're going to get enough but it's 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 what i'm trying to share is we still got to keep our eyes eyes to the front eyes on ya all right not get lost in the lies keep keep coming back to here because Wow, I, I just it, what's interesting is in this revelation, we I just the word glory just keeps coming. Mercy and glory, grace and glory. And we've been in a grace period and I'm feeling the glory period coming real soon. Yeah, I hope so. I mean it says that when the um Yeah. I hope so. Yeah, and this is one of the things that I've been I kind of shied away in, you know, I'm talking about this tonight because there's a lot of interest about it and, and I've been getting a lot of comments about it. I, I've shied away from talking about the mud flood because when you, when you go into this and you realize that you, you really don't know what is true and not about history. Most of when you look at a lot of the Tartarian mud flood channels, they tend to be very anti-biblical and they'll say, Oh, they just wrote the Bible in the 1800s. So they, they made the whole thing up to control you. Right. Um, and I know, I mean, my perspective is, because I'm a guy, as you guys know, that write about how they're lying about everything, and our whole reality is conjured around us by the media and, and intel. Uh, it's all, you know, fabricated. It's all a script. But the one thing that is ultimately true for me is the creator who has revealed himself and who has he revealed himself as? He's revealed himself as Yahuwah, the Most High, and scripture tells his story. Um, and you, you remove, you remove that. And then it's like, well, what do you have to work with? You have nothing to work with at that point. I'm just making up my own God. Right. Um, and it's some, I believe that the reason the, one of the biggest testimonies as to why the Bible is true in the face of all these lies is that you can look all over the world on every single continent and every culture. And I've said this before, I'll say it again tonight. Uh, you, you could see, you you see them talk about paradise, the Garden of Eden. You see them talking about the, the tree of life, how every culture is pursuing the tree of life. You hear about the worship of the serpent. You hear about the watchers coming, you know, the, the, uh, the ascended masters or, you know, the ancient aliens or whatever you want to call them um, who came and took human wives. You, you hear about the giants on every culture. You hear about the Tower of Babel on every culture. You hear about the flood on every culture. The one thing that separates the Bible from all of these other nations and cultures is that it's the only one that exposes the serpent for who he is. 
It's the only one that exposes all the mystery religions and all the people that are um, telling you they're pursuing the tree of life when in fact they're, they're selling you a counterfeit and it's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it's the promise that you are divine within, that you can become like Elohim and that you can go in the back way, jump over the wall, go into the back door into heaven. And we know that you know, the Bible is the only one that exposes that. You know, it's the only one that in Psalm 82 where the Most High says to his council, why, his, his divine ones who are ruling over the earth, saying, why aren't you teaching them my law? Right? Because everybody hates his law. Nobody wants to be a part of it. You know, they all want the, the counterfeit, which is the, the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, um, not the tree of life, who is, of course, Yahusha as well, our tree of life. So that's why I, I believe this. You, you strip away the Bible and you've got, you, you've got the mystery religions. That's all you've got. You, got. you go back to the, you know, the matrix, you take the red pill, you become divine, you know, the whole lie. You have no other option. So um, uh, just a follow up there, uh, Noel. Um, actually, one quick comment and then a the follow up. Um, so funny thing I saw recently in the media, and I, I don't, and I don't absorb a lot of media, but uh, this whole is is like uh, Israel uh, getting bombed or something. Um, and uh, the the one thing I noticed was that um, Israel or Jerusalem is protected by an iron. They call it an iron dome. Um, yeah. And I'm sure everybody, some other people have seen that. It's just kind of ironic. The Iron Dome, uh, and then you have the firmament being a dome. So, and it's protecting like the quote-unquote chosen land, which I'm not 100% certain that that's um, that that's not a false flag operation by the Jesuits, but um, it could be misdirection. But um, the the follow-up to that whole thing, Noel, is if if everything you say is actually true. Um, regarding the timeline, where does that put us in in terms of prophecy, and what's kind of up on the plate? You know, what's kind of up next? Uh, you know, because a lot of us are, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of us are preppers. A lot of us are like, you know, we see technology and COVID, especially, and you know, socialist governments and tyrannical governments coming in. So a lot of us are probably preparing for that kind of eventuality looking to try to get off grid looking to try to you know grow our own food provide for our family in other ways that technology doesn't necessarily um, adhere to but what does that what does that mean for revelation timeline uh, as far as you know what we should be doing as as the body other than of course obviously pursuing a daily uh, relationship with yah and i think um, you know pursuing a connection to the where we are the, the place we're put creation and and you know nature around us okay there was a lot in there so let's start back at what you started talking about was um, iron dome and it's really interesting that right now as we speak you know there was i don't know how was it has it been a thousand i don't know how many missiles or rockets were shot at israel from uh its neighbors in palestine and you know as far as i'm concerned iron dome is a total hoax they're trying to sell you on the fact that it's it's kind of like the atomic bomb. There has to be this this threat to legitimize the existence of the United Nations, of Israel, and so on and so forth. That's what the atomic bomb is, right? 
Well, how do they explain that? It's kind of like when you look at the moon today and like nobody's landing on the light side of the moon. They're all going to the dark side because we have telescopes and we could go look and go, why aren't you landing on where we can see you, right? So we ask the question, why isn't Jerusalem getting bombed? Oh, well, they have the Iron Dome, right? Well, actually, nobody's trying to bomb Jerusalem. I mean, it's all made up. Um, and this is, you know, how sick our slave masters are that they're actually playing both sides. Um, they don't want shalom in the Middle East. If they wanted shalom in Israel, there would be shalom in Israel. Um, the, you know, the, the, the Palestinians are, are set up that way. It, it's like I wrote in, my, in a paper, um, and I did it in a podcast as well, that the Temple Mount is not the location of Solomon or Herod's temple. The Bible tells us where it was. It was on Mount Zion. And you go to Wikipedia today, they'll say, they'll, they'll admit to the fact that, oh, yeah, well, the, yeah, that was Mount Zion. But then they changed the name of Mount Zion to the Temple Mount. Oh, sure they did. Everybody knows that the temple was on Mount Zion, but nobody wants to build the temple. They're telling you it's the Temple Mount so they can create this whole, you know, you know who, who put Muhammad on the Temple Mount? Rome did, right? Um, you know, and who is, who is, who is, um, who runs Zionism? Rome runs Zionism, and the whole thing is a setup, right? They're all—they don't want any peace. It's all a—it's all—they're almost like using biblical prophecy as a as a blueprint of uh, deception. Interestingly enough, um, and so it's kind of interesting to watch what's happening over there right now, and how the commenters are saying like this is like coming out of nowhere, and they, and they don't know where this is leading. It's leading somewhere. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. So where we're at on the time, I go ahead. Oh, it looked like the video. Uh, it looked like the video game missile. Remember missile command? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> so, and that actually goes into addressing where we're at on the timeline. Uh, I could read Revelation twenty if you would like, but it talks about um, right when you go through the thousand years of shalom on earth in the millennial reign. Um, then you know, every single time I, I tell people about how we're in Revelation twenty, they're like, "Well, that can't be because when the millennial reign." Uh, oh, let me let me start again. My entire life, I was raised in churches where they were really big on eschatology, and they would talk about the millennial reign and how they can't believe that there'll be people on the earth who will still reject, you know, we would say Jesus back then. They'll reject Jesus even when he's king of the earth. But that's the state, you know, the sinful state of humanity, which is absolutely true. But then they'll say, what's really crazy then is that Satan will be released and he'll deceive everybody. What is that going to look like? Well, as soon as you then infer that the millennial reign has already happened, they'll, they'll then change their story and say, yeah, but, but his, his kingdom is forever. Well, I know it's forever, but it says right here that Satan will be released to deceive everybody. So it's the same thing in Enoch, that, that the watchers will do that. So uh, that's precisely where we're at in the timeline. Where I can't, when I look around at the, the world, that's why I put that emphasis on Israel. And I don't even, like I said, I don't even know that that is the historical state of Israel. Uh, they, they've lied to us about the shape of the earth. Why not lie to us about the shape of our inheritance too? Um, it's as you know, it, I I told you guys that I kind of you know dropped dropped that. I'm just kind of content. Yeah, you know, maybe when Yahusha shows up, he'll say, "Hey, you know what? Uh, Australia was the Holy Land or the North Pole." Or, you know what I'm saying? I'll be like, "Cool." Like it, it won't be a shock to me because I've I've tried to make sense of the map and I actually can't. Um, you know, when you look at like um, starting at the Jordan River, going to the Mediterranean Sea, that whole section right there is about the size of L.A. County. It's really small. Now, L.A. County is big, but it's also very small. And so 
So you you pack 10 tribes into that small area, and then you put, uh, let's see, who was on uh, east of the Jordan? Was it Manasseh? No, no, not Manasseh. Um, ah, maybe someone could pull up a map and paste it uh, on here. But you have two or three tribes east of the Jordan, and their boundary goes all the way to Babylon. And you're like, wait, what? It goes like 400 miles, according to our map. So everyone is congested in this little tiny area. And then these tribes get 400 miles all the way to to uh, the Euphrates River. It doesn't really make sense uh, that much. And then you start looking at like in uh, 1 Samuel, <clears throat> where David is running from Saul or Shaul. And it, it talks about he's running through the wilderness and all these different cities. And he's hiding and the whole army's pursuing them. And then you look at a map and you're like, Oh, he was walking, he was running around in these four miles right here. Like it, it's just you you get when you read the Bible, you get a sense of a much larger area than what you're told, than what we see. So I don't I say all that 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 it, I also have not been content um with looking at other maps. Some people are pushing that it's actually South Africa. I had a we had someone on in this Discord channel for a while who was pushing Spain. It's kind of interesting. Um but, you know, I, I haven't seen the proof that would go, yes, that, that's an undeniable proof it's really Spain or South Africa so, uh, or, or the United States. But my point is, is that um, when I look around at the world, uh, I see that we're being lied to about everything, everything we are being lied to. And I can't think of a better time on the prophetic timeline than the age of deception when Satan is loose to deceive everybody. And what are we being deceived for ultimately? I mean, we're being deceived – you know, I talk about all the psyops and, you know, we talk about vaccinations and COVID and all these things. Ultimately, where it's all leading is to surround the camp of Yah. Where is that? I think it's on the earth somewhere. I'm I'm saying north, uh, the North Pole uh, would make sense because the, the whole earth surrounds it. Um, and to to fight to their destruction. You know, we read in Second Ezra and Enoch and Revelation that everybody who goes up in this big end times battle against Yahusha, they will be utterly destroyed. As we read earlier tonight in Enoch, it says that brother will not recognize brother and father and son. They'll all turn and kill each other. Like everyone's just going to turn and kill each other when I, I think I think when New Jerusalem comes down. So I think those are the two things we're waiting for. We're waiting for. I think what's going to activate it. I don't know what's going to activate. I don't know if it's going to be. A surrounding of the camp in first or New Jerusalem that comes down, but I think that's what we're waiting for. That, I think that's it. We're waiting for New Jerusalem to come down. So, so if, uh, if go on, please. Uh, yeah, no, uh, very, just kind of briefly, because um, because you mentioned something about uh, about this Noel, is you know, Saint comes to deceive, but I mean, if we look around, if you know, and I think everybody or most of the people here are Torah observant or working their way towards Torah observance. And if we if we think that Yahusha is is the embodiment of Torah, and and he's like the law manifest, um, which is just a representation of Yah's you know desire for how he wants his kingdom to look, then we can certainly see through you know modern Christianity. Um, and and certainly a lot of um, and not to be controversial, but the, a lot of Paul's um, God of Grace mentality um, that there's tons of paganism just intertwined with Christianity. Um, you know, you have Christians celebrating Christmas and and 
and Easter, which is, you know, Ishtar and, 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 uh, you know, obviously, uh, Christmas has its own incredibly horrible pagan, uh, pagan, uh, origins. So when, when Christians are like, oh, how could they possibly, how could Satan possibly deceive everybody when Yahushua is on the earth? His Torah is on the earth still. His kingdom, Torah, it still is on the earth. Um, and, and it hasn't left, but I would hazard, maybe that's the great deception is this whole idea that the law is done away with and now it's just free reign to do whatever you want. Um, grace is just a hundred percent turn to the max and, and then there, and then we'll have Yahusha's camp saying, Hey, um, you guys need to return to my Torah and you'll have these Christians who believe in grace saying you're a bunch of liars and you're heathens and, and you're blasphemous because honestly, when you talk to a Christian about Torah, they say, how dare you? You want to be under the law? Fine. Go die. You're in judgment. Blah, blah, blah. They turn it right around on you. Um, and they're very, they can be very vicious about it. Actually. I, I've noticed, even if you're coming at gently and just saying, Hey, well, let's find evidence together. They're like, no, you're out to lunch. Um, so that to me is like, just that reaction and the irony of the whole thing, it would be very ironic at the end of the day for, for Christians who say, oh, how could he possibly deceive everybody? And <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it turns out Torah was a big deal, guys. Ah, crap. <laughs> hey, yeah. quick, quick question. Would you say the Amish are Torah followers in many ways? Well, I think that I, I guess the, the question is, what is Torah observance? So uh, this is this is always a, a a tricky conversation to be in because I heavily stress obedience to the Most High, and that is you know to be set apart means that we are um, obedient to His law, right? To be to what to what makes Him set apart, right? So there's a number of ways to do that. Now. I'm trying to keep as much as I can of Torah by, you know, I, I, I'm a seventh day Sabbath guy. I, I wear tassels. Um, um, I'm trying the best I can to keep the feasts. You know, I'm not a farmer, so, um, you know, I'm not out harvesting and stuff like that. It doesn't have the same connotations to me. But what I have, what I have found in my few years in this Torah journey, which, you know, when I finally stumbled upon Torah, it made it was a joy to my heart. It, it, it was what I've been searching for my entire life. Um, it, it, you know, what I've been stumbling over in the Bible my entire life, it made total sense. But in the last few years, I see a lot of, um, of this pride um, of, of people who advertise themselves as Torah observant, but they have no love in their heart. They, they don't appear to have circumcised hearts at all, which is missing the entire point. So, um, you said the word pride. My and this is my that's, wife. That's the catch. My wife, who's actually sitting in the room right now, and I'm not saying this because she's in the room, but I'm just recognizing the fact that she's listening to me talk about her best friend. Um, she has a, a a best friend who is just grew up in the church as we did, uh, very churchianity, um, but she has a love in her heart like I've never seen in almost anybody. Like she, she doesn't even know who Yahushua is. She calls him Jesus, and she follows what he said to do. Is she takes care of the widows, uh, the hunger, the the hungry, the orphans, 
Um, and she devotes her life to that. I mean, she, you know, missions nonstop. She has a, a love to, to feed and clothe people like I've never seen. Now, does she, she goes to church on Sunday. She doesn't keep Sabbath. She, so, there, you know, she doesn't wear, you know, tassels and she doesn't know what all the feasts are and all that kind of stuff. She's not educated in that. But in a, in a lot of ways, she's embodying Torah in ways that so many in the Torah movement aren't even envisioning. They're just kind of all saying the right words and, you know, growing their beards all, you know, shaggy and so on and so forth. And so um, this is what Yahushua talked about, you know, when he returns that there's, you know, you all know the famous phrase, you know, but Lord, Lord, didn't I eat with you and blah, blah, blah. And he's like, you know, get away from me. I never, I don't know you, you worker of lawlessness. Right. But then he's going to go up to all these people and, and have them enter their rest, their eternal rest. And be like, I don't even know who you are. And he's like, oh yeah, all those times you were like, you know, visiting people in prison and feeding the, the hungry, you were feeding me and visiting me in prison. They're like, cool. Right. So you get this idea that there's something about Torah that, um, um, it, it, it really is, I hate to say it, but it really is a heart issue where there are many people who have been unfortunately taught that the law is done away with. And there's so much cognitive distance with that guys. Like people like they, they it's the word, They're yeah, caught it's, up it's on the, the word. word. It's, it's Torah it's, or the Lord instead of dad's yeah. rules. The yeah, father's yeah, yeah. Rules. You're in his house, follow his rules. So this we, is where the devil plays the trick. God's right. out of the picture. So we're not in his house. So there's no rules to follow. Right. And this is, and this is where it really comes down to a heart issue where, you know, obviously it's in my desire to get everybody to, you know, I was just out there. I was witnessing to a, 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 a Levite, uh, someone who claims to be a Levite the other day. And he, he couldn't believe that uh, I wouldn't be a Jew and I'd want to follow Torah. And I was, you know, witnessing to him about, you know, the house of Israel and, and, you know, he knew Israel was divorced and I'm claiming to be the house of Israel and I'm coming back. Here I am. And uh, he was just listening and really. And so um, it's my desire to tell everyone about Yahusha and about the law um, being set apart. Um, but I, I just think it's a very convoluted and very it, it's a very difficult conversation to have because it really does come down to has Yahuwah uh, circumcised your heart or not. And it's we can't circumcise our own heart. It says in Deuteronomy that he has to do it. Um, and, and so, yeah. And unfortunately there's a lot of people who are indoctrinated who I do believe have circumcised hearts, but they're fed very bad Intel. Um, does that make sense to everybody? Hopefully that makes sense. So what I'm not doing is I'm not judging all the Christians out there who, um, really do love Yah and want to be obedient to him, but are being fed lies. And I believe that Yah is a good judge. And he's going to say, you know, all those things you did, you did it for me. Even though you didn't know you were doing it, you did it for me. And then many, many people who, you know, claim to be doing everything for them and doing it right, you know, if they don't have the right heart, if they're full of pride and if they're doing it for themselves. I mean, this this gets into the um, – the I, you had asked a question earlier, Josh, about survival. This is something I kind of try to avoid because this gets me into a lot of trouble with people. This is where, you know, um, I am, I am, I am in full support of everyone needs to um, prepare for the future. Um, you know, prepare your households, um, you know, food supplies, all the things you need. We see these examples in scripture with Joseph in Egypt, 
one thing that I do find concerning about the the survival crowd is that I, I have talked to so many over the last couple of years, and in almost all the conversations I've had, I never hear coming out of their lips that Yah is going to save them. I never hear that. It's always how they're going to save themselves. How you know Yah wants them to save themselves that they're going to do it. They have this pride in the fact of how many guns they own, how much food they have you know, how much land they owned and all these things. And, and I ask myself, and I'm not judging them, but I, I see these trends and I have to ask when that moment comes for the Exodus and they have to drop everything, they can't take anything with them. They can't take any of that yes. food they stored up, any of those weapons they stored up. They have to, you know, throw on a backpack with, you know, a change of underwear and a couple, you know, whatever. And you have to walk out that door and you have to leave your house, your property, your farm, everything behind. How many people who said they were doing all that for the most high are going to do it and go through with it? Um, that's the question I ask. So um, I really think it's a correction of the heart. So it, it, that's always, the big... it always comes down to that, doesn't it? And that's, that's the thing that everyone has to evaluate. And I can't judge people individually. Uh, I can say, you know, excuse my, my, so you know, for my you French. Describe, and this is where I, I, I go to people. You could do all of that. But again, where's your focus? Your focus is on the world. If you remember, if you focus on Yah, he's whatever the example is in front of you, his his is trying to correct your heart. Are you full of pride that you can't take my correction? Whether it's be kinder, smile, help out, whatever it may be, it's this correcting of your heart. That's that's what we got in front of us, not death and destruction in the world. The world's been going through this for quite a while. And we know we're at the at, at at quite a time, and it really depends on what neighborhood you're in, because some neighborhoods are really bad. Um, count, thank Yah that yours isn't. Doesn't mean everywhere has to. But what does that show us? Again, yes, be prepared. But the really thing to be prepared for is to cor for the correction to receive that correction. Are you ready? You know, when you're provided the answer, can you accept it? Yeah, I want to go. I want to quickly go back um, and just talk about the deception um, that you had pointed out, Josh, on the law, and that's absolutely true. And I don't believe that's just an end times deception. Um, I believe that it's it it it's always always been the deception from day one. Um, you see that going back to Mount Sinai with the um, the golden calf. You see that going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that when you recognize that the tree of knowledge ultimately represents mankind. You know, we, we went through this in the Targum where I don't know if you're there for that week, but where it said that Adam and Eve were already wise. They were already wise. They didn't need wisdom. What the tree of knowledge, good and evil represented was wisdom in their own eyes. It meant that they knew better than following Yah's law and they could worship him however they wanted. Where they saw fit. That's what it you know represents. And we can see that manifest everywhere in life. You just look around, you can see the knockoff tree of life, which is the the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I, I made a uh, note when we were going through our Torah portions as a family this last Sabbath in similar Leviticus, where um, it talks about how they were it was prophesying that Israel would be abolishing the laws. And I think that this, I don't think. You know, when we talk about controversial subjects like Paul and the Christians of Antioch who 
did away with the law and said that they didn't have to follow that anymore. I don't think that was anything new. I think it happened all throughout Israel's history. Um, and, you know, it, that's why within two or three generations or whatever in Israel, they didn't even know what the law stated anymore. They just weren't interested in it because they did they abolished it. I think there were probably prophets that came along and, um, you know, I said that. So, um, yeah, it's always been the deception. Look at today. Were. Look at today. In Israel, everyone must get vaccinated. And if you're not, basically, you got to put the yellow star on again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> people, are, people are like, you don't see this? I'm in Hawaii. I'm like, and I live on Molokai. That's where the leper colony is on the back side of the mountain. I'm sitting on this side. It's on the other side. And I'm like, uh, people, Hawaiians, remember, it happened here. Oh, this ain't the same thing. I'm like, okay, whatever. This is another version. So does this need to go much further? No, it's, it needs to go enough where people then turn to Yah and go, wait a second. And then, you know, put their eyes back correct, put their heart back to correct to go, um, this is hap happening. Lisa, again. did you unmute yourself? Did you have something you wanted to, to ask or say? I did. I was just going to wait until a break in that conversation. Um, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Because um, I'm outside and I wasn't sure if this was going to carry or not. Um, when you were speaking of deception earlier and about the church and the thousand years, in Revelation 20, um, a lot, most of the Christians that I know, the church family, are waiting for Gog and Magog to happen. That's what their marker is. Not realizing that that happens after the thousand years. That's after Satan's been released. So they're, they deep down know that they're in that the thousand years may have already happened. They just don't realize because the church tells them that the timeline is wrong. They don't realize that what they're actually waiting for, they're acknowledging that it is after the thousand years. Well, that's, that's a really interesting point. And I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Dave's in the room and he's talked to me about this before. And so I'll give him credit for this because um, I wasn't the first person to say it, that it, it, when you look at history, it seems like, um, like even the history of the Bible, even before the flood, after the flood, leading up to Messiah, it seemed like everybody knew where they were at in history. Like in their heart, they knew where they were at. Um, and we see that, you know, today when you, if you were to take a survey as to where we're at in history, it seems like over the last 200 years, not just this generation, it's been ongoing. The baby boomers, it was really huge, the end times. But it seems like everybody has this idea that we're coming up against with this culmination of the end of all things. And I love that you brought that up about Gog and Magog and Armageddon because you're absolutely right that prophetically it happens after the middle of rain. You see that all through scripture. And yet why is everybody so big on this and feel like it's it's around the corner? Um, you know, that, you know, this it's all gonna go down with China and you know, it's all gonna lead to Armageddon. So that's 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 really interesting because that is obviously if we are past the millennial reign that's what we're we're um waiting for and isn't this like it's the first time you hear about this it, it's almost really unsettling like it's a really unsettling thought that a lot of people don't get through like what we missed the millennial reign but it's it's almost like being in an episode of the twilight zone it's the ultimate reveal you know that we we think that it's all future tense it's almost like um I love that show, The Twilight Zone. Did you guys ever see that episode where 
there there's like a there's like a, a a captain and a clown and a ballerina and they're all in this like white room and there's no ceiling they can look up and see the moon and they're all trying to figure out where they came from uh where they're going where they're at and they finally concoct this plan to climb out i think it's the clown or something the cl- i can't remember who finally they like climb up the wall and he falls out and then you find out at the end they were just these toys in a box um and but it's it, i almost feel like that's where we're at in history right now where um we don't we really we don't know like what was before us how long we've had where we're at you know we don't even know how big the earth is um i don't know so hey hey no i got a question um so who do you think we are are we the children of the orphan trains are we the descendants of the nations outside the new jerusalem like who do you think we are um yeah well i i don't believe that new jerusalem has come down yet um this is why i said earlier today that so i i mean i guess you could argue that we are in the outer darkness i guess you could you could argue that depending on how you view what the outer darkness is um my 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 what i said earlier it doesn't really change whether we're the children of the orphan train or the children of israel because either way we are still um the story is still the same with you know uh humanity being uh disowned by the most high at babel and then israel being cast out into the gentiles and then the promise in the end that Yehuda and Israel would be reunited into one flock, which I don't believe has happened yet fully, right? Like we, we've still, it, it has happened in past forms, but in its ultimate fulfillment at the end of times, um, I've pointed out that I don't, I don't really know who Yehuda is or Israel. We, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I'm the tribe of Yehuda. Maybe I'm a Levite. I have no clue. I'm not really interested in all that, you know, the DNA that they found that traces them back to Babylon. The, the, the Levite I was just talking to the other day, he was saying how he traced his blood back to Babylon. I'm like, woohoo, good job. You know, he found out you're a Babylonian. Um, and so, you know, I just wrote a paper. It's going to be published in the next few weeks on how um, I, I don't believe any of the Jews that are over in Israel right now are the real Yehudim from the Bible. They're, they're the, actually the Edomites. And, you know, we read that, um, throughout scripture that the final culmination of all things, Yahuwah says over and over again in Ezekiel, Isaiah, it, it's that uh, he has a, a point of contention with the people who are inhabiting the land, which are the, the, the Edomites, the sons of Esau. And so if we look at Israel today, and if that's the real state of Israel, then we have to ask, well, who's in, who's, filling that land according to the bible it's the edomites right so i say all that because it means that the real yehudim and the real israel are all over the earth and i believe that's us so i it doesn't whether you know we're the children of the orphan train i did say earlier that if the millennial rain happens and they move somewhere else it means that we are descended from the people uh our ancestors were those who obviously did not love yah um, and we could see that either way, right? Our ancestors did not love Yah. If we are descended from Israel, we were, you know, they were a bunch of um, disobedient um, sheep who were cast out from the flock. 
And we're the people that are waking up in the end and remembering who Yah is and saying his name again and, you know, throwing our idols out. Speaking of the orphan trains, since that would have been along the time frame of the mud flood and the Tartarian, who do you think the children were? Where did they come from? Well, that's that's good. Good question. So in the 1800s, um, there was and this is this is another thing that totally came together for me with the mud flood, because I had been interested in this strange narrative of all the orphans all over the world in the 1800s for a long time. I could never make sense of it. You know, another thing that was born in the 1800s was literature, uh, the modern novel. Think of Charles Dickens, right? Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson, all those guys. And one of the big things they wrote about was orphans. Orphans show up in all their stories. They're everywhere. Why are all these authors, you think of like, um, uh, not just Little Orphan Annie, she came along in the 20th century, but um, uh, Anne of Green Gables, right? You, you, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. They're all orphans. And so there was, in the 1800s, um, orphans being shipped all over the world to um, Australia, to Russia. Uh, Shirley into, Temple. It, yeah, Shirley Temple, yeah, always playing an orphan, yeah. Um, and to the point that like, they, yeah, they, they had, um, they just had just babies being dropped off in firehouses and police departments. And you had these huge, beautiful buildings that were being repurposed as orphanages and others as insane. A lot of people went into insane asylums too. That's the other thing we have to remember that all of a sudden insane asylums became a big thing in 1800s when a bunch of people who probably weren't playing along with the program were being deemed insane and being, you know, you know, they were, they had vaccinations back then and drugs. They were probably giving them, you know, the original MK ultra program. Um, So didn't you write about it? Noel? like when, when the mud flood happens, there was basically a war and, and kind of the image I'm reminded of is one of the Indiana Jones movies when they were in India and when they finally defeated them, all the kids came up out of the mines and were free. Yeah. And it was like, where's all the adults? It was like like this, man. They were there was some dark stuff happening. And it wasn't so much orphan trains. It was like they, they weren't orphans. These were like casualties of war. Um, right. Right. And that's the only thing I could think of of all these orphans that um, there was a large amount of the adults of that generation in the 1800s that were um, killed off. For whatever reason, they were judged. Maybe it was uh, worldwide wars. Uh, we, you know, call them the Napoleonic Wars. I have pointedly stated that uh, both Napoleonic Wars, not just 1812, but also the 1860s with Napoleon III, also line up perfectly with the War of 1812 in America and the American Civil War. And we see that they were going around burning and destroying the ancient world. Uh, a lot of people so, dying. So the history in Hawaii. Um, like they know the different, like they say, from Polynesia. And one of the ones when the Kapu system came, it was from Tahiti. And he was a sorcerer named Pahoa or something like this. And what he came and did, and it's in records, but people are like um, thinking that what he did, he killed everyone who believed in the one true God before and then put in that system of, you know, many gods and everything. And people are like, ah, oh, everyone was pagan before. No, they everyone basically believed in one true God all over the world and then when that got released even here you you kind of have a record of it but what happened before got erased so our real connection to like the millennial we were living in the millennial reign before that or people were and then this happened so you have this record here and so why don't we 
why isn't there anything? Because they came and killed any priest, anybody who still would um, not bow down. And so where were the people? They were wiped out quite easily. Where's the right. record? There wouldn't be any. The new history presented. Hey, now it's all kapu, all taboo. You can't do this. You can't question this. Here's the rise of all the monarchies all over the world. And here's the story. Here's here's all the world's a stage, you know, at the Globe Theater. Exactly. Um, I had a thought and then I totally lost it just now. Well, yeah. So when we look at all the, the, the this as this mud flood talk is really taking off right now, like I started out saying how, you know, early 2019, it seemed like the mud flood channels were still, you know, 10,000, 20,000 subscribers. And then like now they're like 150, like they've really taken off this last year. Um, and th they're not, I, I still, I, I'm watching some of these videos and they're talking about how the whole purpose was to like, Steal free energy and things like that. Like I get it, yeah. We shouldn't be paying for our energy, but it, it seems like such a shallow reason for why they would, you know, do this huge worldwide reset. The millennial reign makes total sense, a hundred percent total sense that they would have to try to erase that. So going back to these orphan trains, and you know, go, you know, when you look at these these worldwide these world fairs. The, the Chicago World Fair of 1890, was it 1891, 92, right in there? Um, and, it, of course, all these World Fairs happen to follow in these big destructive fires, whatever, like the Chicago Fire, you know, Mrs. O'Leary's Cow. And so that World Fair ushered in millions upon millions of Americans in the 1890s when they were on horseback and carriages. And they were able to usher in millions of people from all over the U.S. who had to tend to farms, who were farmers for a profession, had to get up and leave all that. And also people from Europe who came over by boat and then train in order to see this ancient city get destroyed in front of their eyes, right? Like yeah. when you understand – yeah, when you understand that they, the 1800s was a big indoctrination event in order to rewrite history right in front of them and lie to them about everything – it makes so much sense of how, you know, that again, what is the point of all this deception is to actually turn against the most high. That's what Satan's trying to do. It, that makes, it makes total sense. Why okay, he's you doing gonna, all of that. You were going to write about the Wild West. Remember, you know how popular the Louis L'Amour books are? You know, yeah. like be, before, like it kind of, I was, I'm born, six, came in 69. So kind of, I was at the end of it, but before it's so popular. And and you'll see, like, you go Germany, there's so much into cowboys and the Native American culture over here, especially Native American culture. It's something that you were shedding light on. It's like, um, in this, you, I remember one time you're like, yeah, I don't believe the Wild West either. I remember you saying something like this. And I was yeah. like, all right, this is great because this part of the timeline is like, yeah, they made that stuff up too. It That's, that's, um, it was really hard because I love Western films. I love like one of my favorite films of all time is high noon with Gary Cooper. Um, and you know, just a classic showdown in the streets type of film. Um, and it was really hard for me to, to give up the Western, um, you know, it's so much of my identity. So many Americans identities are grounded in this, but when you just see all these big, beautiful buildings, you know, we've been over this, like in Texas and Colorado and, 
these mm. dome buildings. It's like there's no, as you guys know, there's no way that cowboys wouldn't have built that stuff. It's um, kind of like Westworld, the last season of Westworld, where they realize it's like when they got out of that one, I want to say dome, that one, um, what would you call it? Um, almost like a, um, what do we get so-called on the moon? The um, craters, more like a crater, right? Like we're supposedly in a crater with the um, um, south um, pole surrounding us, right? Antarctica surrounding us, and we're within a bowl in a way. So that's kind of like in Westworld was presented, and then when they got out, there was feudal Japan. There was modern Amer like modern high-tech America. There was the Westworld. There was all these different um, simulations but real life simulations going on all over the place. So this is kind of how, if you look at it and the way history is presented, this is a very good um, it, putting it in our faces, kind of what's been happening. Yeah. So guys, it's 1030 and um, I want to answer any more questions you guys have tonight. If you guys have any final thoughts, we can kind of, kind of wrap up in the next 10, 15 minutes. And then next week, um rick hummer really wants to come on and talk to you guys about this and i he would have a very interesting conversation so we're going to plan on it again next week but if he for whatever reason for work reasons is not able to do it has to cancel we'll just continue with the targum study uh the next chapters we'll have those ready just to have something to go um but is there any other comments or any questions people have over anything that we've covered so far tonight observation about the orphan trains um if it was after the millennium and the adults that went to war against the the you know the camp of yah the children if, if you've ever and i'm sure a lot of you have studied the orphan trains and looked at them all the children are below the age of accountability they're all um they were all able to you know to work they weren't like kids today if you took them and put them in a factory they wouldn't know what to do but um i just find it interesting that they were all below the age of accountability and like maybe they're the the remnant of what was left after the camp of y'all was surrounded well yeah now that's an interesting thought too that um they would have already surrounded the camp you know my my idea is is that that battle has not happened yet uh, the surrounding the camp battle uh what we call gog magog and so on and so forth um but yeah that's that's a interesting observation and it's 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 so strange how they try to explain to us that that they had to have all these kids go work in these factories back then i don't even know what they expect i've seen some explanations that there was just too much work and that they and it's like you know that they they had all these jobs and not enough adults and you know these it's like you yeah, know who? who are you building for what, what are you making for yeah it's just <laughs> so weird to see factory after factory on every continent filled with grubby faced children and it's like where are all the adults why are all these kids working these jobs it's it's something that you know yeah it's just so bizarre particularly referring to to gog and magog the last you know the war where the camp surrounded but just after the millennium, when Satan is released, um, you know, there's a, there's a battle. Yeah. And I just, 
theorize, use ancient alien terminology, I theorize um, that the children were maybe what was left of some type of battle. Sure. They were, they were not destroyed because they were below the age of accountability. Right. Yeah, that, that could be. Yeah. All right. Anybody else have any any thoughts or questions before we wrap up? Okay, then uh, it's ten thirty, and I want to be you know considerate of everyone's time. So as always, so we will pick this up next week again. And thank you everybody for coming. Uh, shalom. Uh, hopefully this was good information for you guys. Hopefully it wasn't all too repetitive. Um, I I really the 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 ten week prophetic calendar of Enoch. I really want to get people's feedback on and say, okay, no, this is where you're wrong on this. this. Is where you're seeing it wrong because I've been trying to really get people to comment on it for the last year, and it's why I haven't written any articles on it because I just, um, yeah, I mean, to me, it looks it looks more and more like it's describing, you know, that we're kind of in the ninth week, um, going on, getting close to that, or the, I guess. Was it the tenth? I'd have to look at it again. But anyways, um, yeah, the watchers aren't judged until the tenth week. So to me, and then it says, you know, eternity can uh, picks up after the tenth week. So, um, anyways, thanks everyone for showing up tonight. Thanks, Thank so. you know, We really, really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. All right. Shalom. Shalom. All right, I'm signing Shalom. up.